Put them over your heart. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. Well, I do have a title for this morning's message. What I'm not sure of is if it's going to be part of a series. You know, preachers are fond of series. And last week we talked about expectations matter. Today we're going to talk about focus matters. But in my indecision about whether this is a series or not, or just what kind of series it is, I have a little something for you. Jeff and Barb, if you would, please. Lights. Let's do the spotlights as well. Jeff, if we could, the spots, please. A lot of pastors love the series. A lot of pastors always say, you know, a 12-part, 18-part, 90-part series. Always has a weird name like content or discontent. Which tent do you live in? (laughs) This was so funny. This pastor one time, he's like, all right, y'all, I'm so excited about a new series. We're starting next week. Going from one bring friends. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be real good. You know, I was thinking the other day, we all love Twinkies. I love Twinkies. You love Twinkies. They're delicious. But we don't all eat Twinkies the same way. No, we don't. Sometimes we don't know how to fit in. So I'm so excited about a new series we're starting next week. Because mm-hmm. some people eat Twinkies that break them in half. Some people shave off the top. Some people drill a hole in the end and squeeze out the good stuff. Some people full commando jam the whole thing in their mouth at one time. So join me next week on the first part of a 48-part series. How to be a Twinkie in a ding-dong world. Amen. It's going to be good. That's right. Bring your message Bibles. It's going to be anointed. It's going to be anointed. (laughs) So I am certain that this will not be 48 parts. And if it does have a title, as far as the series, it's called What Matters. Join me in our text for this morning. It's Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 2. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Sounds to me like a focus exhortation. All right? Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. 
he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. There is something that I can do according to the scripture. There's something that I can control. There's a focus that I can build into my life that will cause everything I do to prosper. Did you catch that? Did you catch what it is? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. There's something that I control. I control my future. I determine the blessing that I'm walking in. He's given me the principle. I'm the one that has to choose to focus. So, I have a couple of questions for you this morning. What gets your attention? What holds your attraction? And what motivates your activity? Zig Ziglar said this, and I quote, Lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24 hours in a day. See, that's the power of focusing. Alexander Graham Bell said, and I quote, Concentrate all your thoughts upon the work that's at hand. The sun's rays do not burn until brought into focus, end quote. Thank God for the sun. And thank God for the heat and the warmth that it provides and all the other things that it provides to the general populace and to the inhabitants of earth. But those who have learned to take its power and focus it, they can start fires. They can build kingdoms. It's the men and women of God who have learned how to focus what God has blessed us with that really walk in the prosperity of it. David Emerald, who's an author and an executive coach, said this regarding focus. And I want you to focus right now. Jeff, there's a little bit of bass ring, please, in this. Dial out a little bit of bass for me. David Emerald, again, who's an author and executive coach, said... One of the fundamental differences between the victim or victim orientation and the creator, meaning you, is where you put your focus of attention. For victims, the focus is always on what they don't want, the problems that seem constantly to multiply in their lives. They don't want the person, the condition, or the circumstance that they consider to be their persecutor. 
and they don't want the fear that leads to fight or to flee or to freeze their reactions either. Creators, on the other hand, place their focus on what they do want. Doing this, creators still face and solve problems and, of course, experience creating outcomes. But the difference is that their focus remains fixed on their ultimate vision, end quote. So, are you a victim of life? Do the things that attract, that arrest your attention, that you find spending the bulk of your activity regarding, are, are those being done to you or are you choosing them as a result of your focus in life? Let's put it another way. Are, are you going where you want to go? So let's, let's give you a definition, just real quick. A, a basic definition of focus. It means a central point, as in a central point of attraction, a central point of attention, or a central point of activity. Now in the realm of physics, it also means this, a point at which the rays of light or heat meet after being refracted. All right, so simple illustration of this definition of focus. The color red. Right now, I want everyone in this room, when I say go, to look around the room and find every occurrence that you can of red. Ready? Only red, only the color red. Go. Look around. Every occurrence you can of the color red. Quickly, quickly, only red now. All right, stop. Now, I want to do the same thing with the color blue. No other color, the color blue. When I say go, find every occurrence you can in this room of the color blue. Ready? Go. Only blue. Look around. No other color, only blue. Find every occurrence. All right, stop. Isn't it amazing that when I said find red, somehow your brain focused and what popped out at you were the reds around the room. But as soon as you started looking for the color blue, you didn't see so much red. You saw an awful lot of blue and you were able to pick those out just by focusing here on what I said in terms of a color choice. Now, if that's possible, just as a simple illustration of the power of focus using your mind, what if we take and combine the promises of God in his word with the ability he gave us to imagine and to focus, and we use that to go in the direction of his purposes for our life? Jesus had purpose. And Jesus had an ultimate purpose for his disciples as well. The scripture speaks of this. How many of you remember when Jesus said, Look, a number of you are interested in following me, but I have parameters around that. 
So here's how I want you to focus. He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow me. And if you're not willing to do that, don't get started. That was Jesus' ultimate point of focus, following him. You see, discipleship actually means shaping our love, not just the education of our minds. Pay attention. Focus. Focus. Discipleship actually means shaping our love for God and our love for each other, not just becoming educated with theological points and premises. It's about becoming, not just learning. And so Paul's lament for the Galatians was, you crazy Galatians, I'm reading from the Bible, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. See, Paul really was not very politically correct. (laughs) Imagine a pastor standing in the pulpit today and saying, Why, you crazy congregation, you're really not focusing on what's important. Now, that may be your takeaway from what I say today. And I think I'll just let Paul do that speaking for me. So what did Jesus focus on? If the subject of focus is so important, and he's the one that said, look, if you want to follow me, you better get focused. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Then, Jesus, what was so big in your life? What were the objectives that you really focused on? There were three. Do you remember when he said, I do nothing unless I first hear the Father speaking it. That's what attracted Jesus or the Word of God. Jesus was focused on the Word of God. Secondly, wasn't it Jesus that said, Seek ye first, finish it for me, the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you, right? See, that's the law of attraction. So Jesus gave his attention to what God was saying, the word. Jesus was attracted by the kingdom. Or in other words, Jesus said it this way in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 21. Where your heart is, or excuse me, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the third thing that Jesus focused on was what he called the greatest commandment of all. Help me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind and all thy strength. Soul and strength depending on the translation. So in other words, I'm focused on the activity of loving others. First, my relationship with God and then my relationship with others. That's my focus. 
So Jesus gave his attention to the word of God. He was attracted by the kingdom. That's where he put his treasure. And he was active. He was motivated in every activity by love. Imagine that. Even when Jesus drew a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple for exchanging money in God's house, that was loving. Is it possible? Is it possible to have a goal of being attracted only by the word, giving your full attention to the kingdom, and actually be loving and yet make a whip and drive money changers out of the temple? Apparently it is because God is love. He doesn't just have the quality of love. He is love. Now, in all the other attributes regarding God, it says God is merciful. God is patient. God is kind. But when it comes to love, it says God is love. He isn't just the one who is loving. He is love. And so when Jesus drove those money changers out of that temple, that was love acting. Parents, when you command your children in the way in which they should go and you provide godly discipline, that actually is loving. Yes, Lord. Speak, Lord. you know you can't think your way to God? So I want to be quick to point something out here in talking about goals and being focused and all of those sorts of things. One might think that if you just apply yourself, that's out the back door, they're cleaning the, uh, <laughs> they're clean, must be doing servicing our uh, swamp coolers. I believe that's what you're hearing there. Well, thank God they're going to be turned on. We're going to have some cool air. Amen. So we can put up with the rest. I, I want to be sure you understand that I'm not talking about simply positive mental attitude and that you can simply control your destiny by thinking positive thoughts. And when bad things happen to you, all you need to do is think the opposite thought and it will change. Now, there's truth in those things. But for the believer, we base everything we believe and everything we think, as well as our goals and our focus, on one thing the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has said in his word. We lift his person and his word above every circumstance, above everything that's going on. And that's the difference. That's the difference between just having a positive mental attitude or just substituting a positive thought for a negative one. No, we focus on Jesus Christ 
and Him crucified and risen from the dead who has given us life as God enjoys it. It doesn't mean that we'll not have any challenges. It doesn't mean you'll never have any circumstances that are cruel, that are mean, that are contrary, that are adverse, that are destructive even. But thank God Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Even in the midst of those adverse circumstances, Paul said it this way, even though I was beaten, shipwrecked, I was hungry, I had all sorts of things happen to me, I was cast over the side of one ship into the waters, out of all these troubles, the Lord delivered me. See, that's the testimony for the believer. Not just a positive mental attitude, but that the Lord delivers us. And it's his word that we focus on. So while you can't think your way to God, I want to tell you what really does drive our behavior then. Our behavior is driven primarily not by ideas, but by how we order our desires and our loves. I'll say it again. Our behavior is driven primarily not by our thoughts, but how we order our desires and our loves. Because, you see, humans are at their core, basically, made up of what we worship. Humans, at their core, are defined by what they worship. The great church leader, Augustine, said this, we are what we love. What you love is what you worship, and what, sh what you worship is what you love. Let's turn to the scripture. Romans chapter 1. Some of you are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. You're just not quite sure where to go, just how to take this one. Because we've learned that what controls... Our behavior are our thoughts. I'm with Augustine on this. I think far more than your thoughts, it is your love and your desires. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their, what? Thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now he's talking about those who, especially those who consider themselves very educated, very literate, and on top of the social, socio-economic pile. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. He gave them up to what? The lusts of their hearts 
to impurities that goes far beyond just your thinking. To be dishonoring with their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, get this, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Whenever you substitute the worship of God for some other creature, something created, you have now entered a realm of foolishness and darkness. Now, I'm not saying it's absolute. I'm not saying you lose your Christianity. I'm just saying that as we learned last week, the moment Eve began to question whether or not she had everything, the fullness of what God wanted her to be and had created her to be, she begins moving away from the presence of God and became susceptible to the temptation that was provided. The moment we begin to worship something other than the Creator, we become susceptible to foolishness and darkness. Now watch where this leads, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable Passions, not just thoughts, desires, loves. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. A man loving another man is a form of worship. A man loving and having sexual intercourse with another man is not natural. It's not a worse sin than gossip or backbiting or being unloving or stealing paper clips from the office. But it is unnatural. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. See, some judgment is self-activated. God doesn't have to be anywhere around. We blame God for things that really are a matter of sowing and reaping. When we worship the creature rather than the creator, we open ourselves up even for unnatural desires. And in that then, there is a penalty and error. Not because God gives it or God's standing there with a big stick waiting to judge us for our sin, but because judgment is self-activated. The sin, the disobedience, the stepping away from worshiping the Creator only has contained within itself the penalty. Which is why God says, don't go there. Don't do that. Stay away from those things. He's not trying to take our joy away. He's not trying to restrict our life and our love. He's trying to warn us that certain things in life, though you might desire it, you might even love it, It contains within itself something that's contrary to nature and contrary to the very love and blessing of God. In this particular passage, he points out that homosexuality is one of those desires. It's not more evil than any other sin. People who are caught up in homosexuality are not worse off or worse people or some sort of human being to be isolated compared to you or me or anybody else. God loves them just as much as he loves me. And they are welcome, by the way, here at Genesis. 
But I will always teach and I will always preach that God's Word says that that activity is unnatural and it is not as best and that there is something better. And the way we get delivered from loves and desires that are contrary to God's best, by the way, begins with who we worship. Again, Jesus proclaimed this truth in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jeremiah chapter 10. Please join me. Jeremiah chapter 10. Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 10. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Dealing with this aspect of that we are at our core worshipers. We will worship something. Uh, Bob Dylan, famous poet, songwriter, performer. Many of you are old enough to remember the name, the music. He once penned a song, You're going to serve somebody. Well, you are going to worship somebody. You are at your core a being that worships. The question is, what are we going to worship? What are we going to focus on? Verse 1, chapter 10 of Jeremiah. Hear the word of the Lord, which speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs in the heavens, because the nations are dismayed. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a, in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. I want to pause for just a moment and point out Sometimes Christians have been guilty in their attempts to rid their homes, rid their lives of anything that's idolatrous, anything that could be, be uh, interpreted as being used by Satan to bring Satan's presence. Uh, they go through the house and they, they do things and they pray certain ways and they, they take every kind of picture and statue and so forth out of their house and they attach to things the very evil that they're wanting to remove. And that's interesting because here it says, do not be afraid of them. They cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. In other words, it's a piece of wood, dear ones. Now, why is that important? Regardless of your theology about the demonic and exorcism and all of that, I don't even want to go there. I want to make a point to you. It's a tree. Why are you hugging it? Why do, you, why do you ascribe to a tree the worship that belongs to God alone? It's a whale. It's a sea mammal. God created it to live, to be enjoyed. 
Yes, it's part of the ecosystem. We need whales. But why do you ascribe to a whale the worship that is due to God alone? It is neither evil nor can it do good. God says, I am the only one that can be worshipped. Turn or look, verse 8. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uhas. They are the work of craftsmen and the hands of goldsmiths. Their cloth, clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is He who made the earth by His power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding. He stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mists arise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Now watch this. Again, this is very politically incorrect. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless. They're a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall not perish. Or excuse me, they shall perish. Not like these is he whose portion of Jacob... Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob... For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Why do we want to worship? Why do we give ourselves to desires and loves that are not centered in the Creator? Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, but Pastor... I, I don't do that. I gave my heart to Jesus a long time ago and I've been walking with him and I love him with all my heart. I am not an idol worshiper. I got rid of my crucifixes and I got rid of these little pot belly, uh, little, 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 uh, uh, you know, oh, what do they call them? Little Buddhas. I, I got rid of my little Buddhas and I broke all my rock records. Pastor, I broke all my rock records. I only listen to Christian music. Listen, I've been there, done that. I remember doing that when I got born again and spirit-filled. I was about 17, and I was so convicted about the music I was listening to. And I had huge stacks of rock records. Now, this was when rock was rock. Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith. I mean, I'm talking rock music. And I took those things, and I busted them all, one by one. Took them out of their sleeves and busted them over the trash can. And boy, I I felt holy. I felt closer to God. And you know, I hadn't read the Bible yet to find out that those things are neither evil nor can they do good. It's what I ascribe to it through my worship. So now I've downloaded some Jethro Tull and I've downloaded some, some Led Zeppelin and... 
<laughs> See, humans at their core are defined by what we worship. And the core of the person is what he or she loves. And that is bound up with what we worship. Oh, make no mistake, there are secular liturgies. You know what I mean by the liturgical or liturgies? There are, there are uh, denominations that are liturgical. They celebrate the liturgy. Typically, these are denominations who, whose uh, leadership, they, they wear robes. Typically, they have the candles and candelabras. They have, they're burning the incense. They, they have the bread and the communion, which is celebrated every service. And, and then there's a lot of circumstance, sometimes some pomp as well. And, and it's, it's all... There's a lot of root to it. Oh, make no mistake. There's plenty of secular liturgies that I bet any of us in this room are caught up in. How about television? Have you ever thought about the worship, the desire, the love we ascribe to some programs? Dear ones, I'm here to tell you, if you find yourself in a state of malaise. I mean you are just beside yourself with discouragement and disappointment for days because you didn't get to watch one of your shows. There's something wrong with your worship. There's something wrong with your core. There just is. Sports? There are people so, so that they can be down at Mile High Stadium or whatever it's called today be there on time and watch that game, they will miss a Sunday morning worship service where we come to celebrate His goodness and learn from the Word of God. May I say there's no difference in that compared to worshiping wood and stone and the idols of old where people cut themselves and shouted and painted their faces and ran around. And we call them crazy. We call them animalistic. But you go view any football game, I dare you, of 75, 80,000 people gathered in an arena. And look at the paint. Look how they've painted themselves. Look at them shouting. Look at them throwing beer bottles. And is it not interesting that all we've done is switched our idol worship today to more approved idols? Oh, I just really shouldn't. But, you know, if, 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 if when you get up late and you're on your way to work and you know that if you don't stop at Starbucks, your whole morning is toast, may I say that you just should stop for a moment and reconsider your core and, and that maybe something's missing. I'm not against Starbucks. I'm not against drinking coffee. I don't drink it. I've never had a cup, so I wouldn't know a good one from a bad one. But I'm just saying to you, that I can substitute into that going to the mall. I can substitute into that uh, working at the computer, which I know something about. I can substitute into that any desire, any love. And when it's out of proportion, when it fails, when it keeps me from worshiping the Lord as the sole source of what fulfills me and completes me, there's a movie scene, a scene in a movie with Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, where he enters the room and his wife 
they're, they're on the outs. In fact, they're headed for divorce. He's, he's left her. She's left him. She's there with a bunch of women in the living room. They're having a little party and they're gossiping and talking. And he walks in from one of his business trips. And he's broken and he wants her and he's repentive and he's starts talking to her and going on and on about how foolish he's been and how stupid he's been to let her go and how he must have her again by his side. Life has lost meaning. And he makes this statement. You complete me. You complete me. That's dumb. No human being can complete you. Now, I understand in the romantic love of all of this. I love that movie. That's my favorite scene. I just watched it over this weekend. Usually when I watch it, I get tears. I love that scene. And he keeps going for a a, a few more comments that he's making. And she's just standing there staring at him. And then I love this. She says, oh, just, just shut up. You had me at hello. I love it. Oh, tears. I love it. But dear ones, do you understand what's really contained in those words? You complete me? Is that not exactly what we have done with life? With the mall? With television? With sports? With all of our secular idols today? You complete me. I beg of you, our focus must change. So I'll leave you with these three things about your focus and how to change it. Number one, the word has to be all of your attention. Psalm 119, verse 66, train me in good common sense. I'm thoroughly committed to living your way. Before I learned to answer you, I wandered all over the place. But now I'm in step with your word. You are good and the source of good. Train me in your goodness. The godless spread lies about me, but I focus my attention on what you are saying. They're bland as a bucket of lard. While I dance to the tune of your revelation, my troubles turned out for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Dear ones, I submit to you, please make the word the focus of your attention. Number two, Make the kingdom your attraction. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it was our text. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You see, the problem is we as evangelicals tend to see ritual as self-management and exertion. We call it works. But listen to me, dear ones. Not all spiritual discipline is that. Instead, think of ritual and disciplines as habitations of the Spirit. Spiritual disciplines aren't about showing that we're trying to pursue God. These are gifts that the Spirit inhabits. They are rituals that God invites us into to live into the power of His Spirit. So when I read my Bible, when I come to church and worship with Pastor Don, when I celebrate and I go to the ladies' meetings and the, the table with Pastor Kimberly and the, and the, and the whatever you're doing, Pastor Nina... <laughs> When, when, when you do these things, what, what you have to understand, when you go to Unite and you celebrate and you spend 90 minutes, 90 minutes, dear ones, 90 minutes of your week 
you go to one of these things. Do you realize what you are doing? It's not a work. It's not a ritual. You're not trying to get God. You are stepping over into something that His Spirit is in habitation with. And you're saying, God, inhabit me. Let me, let me hear in this moment. Let me hear in this 20 minutes of worship. Experience the power of your Spirit, God. I just step into where you are. Not all ritual is bad. And finally, loving relationships should be the focus of all of your activity. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. A moment ago, I was highlighting a particular area of degenerate worship, that being the homosexual lifestyle and desire. But please separate from that desire, as you would any other desire or love, that person. That person is loved of God. When God looks at them, he does not see homosexuality or sin or other things. He looks at them through the eyes of Jesus, and he is celebrating their redemption. He is celebrating his love for them. And our part is to surround them with lavish gift-giving of love and acceptance and will walk with you through this difficulty as you learn to focus your love on the Creator. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, and I'll close. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does, does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Let's bow our heads for just a minute.